Well, kids, I am glad you are here with us. Uh, I want to start by asking you, because I think most of your moms and dads are aware of this, but there's a TV show called Undercover Boss. And have you guys heard of it? Moms, dads, adults, some of you? Yeah, okay. Several of you have heard of Undercover Boss. If you don't know what the show is, though, it's where a boss of a large company will kind of disguise himself. He'll go undercover and he'll take a job within his own company at like an entry-level position. So for instance, imagine a big hotel chain. They've got hundreds of hotels around the nation. The boss is up on top. He's making lots and lots of money. He goes to lots of meetings. He travels all over the place, but he takes a job doing maintenance in one of the hotels The idea behind the show is that he would kind of understand the world that his employees live in and to give him a better sense of what's really taking place within his company. You would think that if anyone would know what's going on within the company, it's the boss. But there's a whole TV show proving that they're not in touch with reality, that there's a lot that they misunderstand. But yet, if you think about it, This happens all the time in life. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had a husband or a wife come to me saying, we need marriage counseling. Things are not going well in our marriage. And they'll start to share why and what's going on. And I begin to get a picture of what the issues are. But then we have the other spouse come and join us. And the three of us will sit together. And now I hear from the other person And a slightly different picture begins to emerge. And I start to understand a little more of what's really going on. And it's not usually just one person's fault, as you're initially led to believe. This happens with the news. You know, something happens, the news begins to report it, one picture starts being painted, but then they start talking to different eyewitnesses. And pretty soon, a different picture begins to emerge. Or our kids. You have also experienced this just on the other side. For instance, something happens. Your mom and dad begins to interview you. You start telling them your story. Here's what happened. But then they interview your little brother. Or or they talk to the neighbor kid. Or they get a call from your teacher. And it turns out the story was a little different than what you led them to believe. And you're usually grounded or something else happens. But this happens frequently where we we think we understand a story, but it turns out we actually misunderstand it. There's actually more to it than we thought. I think when it comes to the topic of baptism, there are several people, many people, who misunderstand it. They've heard stories. They've been taught certain things or they've just assumed things about it. But they're actually misunderstanding the bigger picture of what is really behind baptism. We've been studying uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. We just finished it up last week. We did 15 weeks in it. And we saw a lot of unexpected things that Jesus taught. Well, today we're going to go and get the prequel to to the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go and see what happened before Jesus stood on a mountainside teaching people how to follow God. And what happened before that was Jesus' own baptism. And as we go and look at his baptism, I think it's going to help us get a bigger picture, a more complete picture of what baptism really is and what it means. And it'll help us with our misunderstandings. So before we jump into Matthew chapter 3, let me pray. Father, these are your people. 
you know their names, you know their stories, you know their beliefs, you know all about them. And I just think that there are some people here today that you've intentionally put here so that they could hear this message. This isn't the type of message that that cuts right to the heart. Instead, this is the type of message that's going to help them to see what you're calling them to. And so, Father, I pray that you would just be in my words. This wouldn't be so much about what I want to say, but that your scriptures would come through very clear and powerfully. And that everyone, no matter what their age in this room, has an encounter with you. And they see your scriptures for what it says. And it would impact them. And it would help each and every one of us in this room to want to find you and follow you into life. So, Father, we pray that you would be our teacher today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so open up your Bibles if you brought one to Matthew chapter 3. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, feel free to pull that out. We will not accuse you of being on Facebook. Uh, If you want to grab a paper Bible, we have some on the back table. Totally feel free to just get up and grab one. Uh, That will be fine. And if you really want to just be American and watch a TV, I have the scripture on the screen behind me. Now, kids, in your activity bag is that little uh, activity pad. In there is some scripture. I'm going to go through almost the entire chapter of Matthew 3. We didn't think you wanted 54 pages, though, in your activity pad. So we only have one little section in there. That's the baptism of Jesus. So when I get there, I'll tell you, and you can pull that out, and you can read along with me. But kids, in your uh, little activity pad is kind of an outline. So if you want to follow along and fill in some blanks, you can do that just like your moms and dads, because we have some uh, some blanks in the notes today. So you kids, stick with with me, follow along, because I think you guys are going to learn a lot from this today. But in order for us to understand what's happening with Jesus' baptism, the prequel to the Sermon on the Mount, we got to go and look at the prequel to the prequel. We kind of got to set the stage and see what's happening before Jesus walks into those waters. And that begins back in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Kids, do you know what locusts are? They're bugs. They're like grasshoppers. So imagine your food, your snack, you know, mom says, hey, you want a snack? And you're like, sure. And you go out and you catch a grasshopper and you dip him in some wild honey and pop that sucker in your mouth. Sounds yummy, doesn't it? Maybe we should serve those for Riverwood snacks someday. No, like John's weird. I mean, he wears camel hair. I mean, that's itchy. I mean, he lives in the wilderness. The guy is just odd. And yet God used that oddity to draw people to go and see him. People would be like, hey, do you hear about the crazy guy that's out in the wilderness? He's out by the Jordan River. He's saying some crazy things. You got to come hear it. And so I think because they didn't have like TV, they couldn't like flick on Netflix. They're like, sure, I'm bored. Let's go see the crazy guy. And so they'd head out into the wilderness, go out to the Jordan River, and they're expected to see someone nuts. And then he begins to preach. And he begins to prophesy. And he begins to talk about this Messiah who's about to come into the world. And as he preaches, something happens. Like, it hits them inside. And that's what leads us to verse 5 and 6. It says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, out to John. 
And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so these people would hear John preach, realize the Messiah is on his way, and it would convict them. And so in this conviction of their sin, they would decide to be baptized. And they'd walk into the waters and be dunked in this idea of repenting from sins. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. Now, how many of you guys have heard of this Pokemon Go craze? Okay. How many of you downloaded the app simply because you heard everyone else talking about it? Okay. That's what happened back in their day. No, no, not Pokemon Go. Sorry. What happened was they're all going to see this crazy thing going on out in the wilderness. And other people are like, why are they all going out there? And some of those other people were the Jewish leaders. Why are all of our people going out to the wilderness to hear from a crazy guy? And so they began to go out and check it out themselves. And that leads us to verse 7. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you kind of get the idea that John doesn't like the Pharisees and Sadducees? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, but I'll just tell you, he does not like them. He is upset with them. He's frustrated with them. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? So this is the stage. You've got a really odd, crazy guy out in the wilderness, eats really weird things, wears strange clothes. Everyone's going out to see this. They hear his preaching, convicted of the heart. They're going to be baptized. The Pharisees and Sadducees wonder what is going on. They go to check it out, and they get a rebuking. That's what's going on when suddenly Jesus shows up on the scene. Skip down to verse 13. Kids, by the way, this is the passage in your activity pad. So if you want to read along, this is where we're at. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so Jesus shows up, starts taking off his sandals and walking into the water and John sees him. And now John knows who Jesus is. First, they're second cousins. He's grown up with this, but God has also made it known to John. This is the Messiah. And Jesus hadn't revealed himself yet. He'd just been working as a carpenter in Nazareth for the past 30 some years. And all of a sudden he walks into the water and John's like, whoa, wait a second. 
You're the sinless Messiah, the son of God. Why are you coming in to be baptized me like a sinner? No, 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 no. I'm the sinner. I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, hey, we got to do this. This is important. So why do you have the sinless son of God stepping in to be baptized like a sinner? What is going on? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because I think as we look at this story in this whole chapter, it's going to get rid of some of the myths we have, some of the misunderstandings we have of baptism. And it's actually going to bring some correction to our thinking. So I see five things in here that helps us re-understand baptism. The first thing I see is that baptism requires repentance. If you look there in verse 6, you see that last phrase there, that the people were going in being baptized, confessing their sins. Kids, do you know what the word confess means? Anyone? None of you know what confess means. Or you're really bored with me already. Okay, one in the back. Okay, yeah, all right. There, there's like this idea of admitting some wrongdoing, isn't there? Right? To confess means to admit, yeah, I did it. Now, you could confess to doing something really good, like you know, Phil last night proposed to Karis and someone could ask him, did you really propose? And he'd say, yes, he's confessing what he did, but it wasn't wrong, right? But it's also possible for you to confess and not be sorry. Like, you could be sitting right there with your little brother who's crying, his nose is bleeding, your mom looks at you and says, did you punch your brother in the nose? And you go, yeah, so, right? You confessed, but you're not sorry. Baptism needs more than just confession. Yes, the people are confessing their sins, but like Zion just said, it also requires a turning away. That is called repentance. And that's what we see down there in verse 11, when John himself is telling the Pharisees and Sadducees the reason he's doing this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. It's this idea where you realize, I have sinned, I have done wrong against God and I'm sorry for it. I confess my sins, and now I want to turn from it. I want to live differently. I want to be different. That's part of what is contained within baptism. It requires this repentance. You, you can't walk into that water without it. Otherwise, you start to slip into what I get into next, verse uh, number two. Baptism is not for show. I think that the reason the Pharisees and Sadducees are going out to see John is they're going out to judge him. The Pharisees were very, very passionate about the Old Testament, what they would have just known as the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. And they studied it intensely, meticulously. And they would, you know, want everyone to follow every little part of the law. The, the Sadducees, they took their faith very seriously, but it really was more about like the political realm. They were more concerned about like Rome's involvement and because they're underneath the Roman Empire. So they were more concerned about politics and not quite as much about the actual religion. But John the Baptist would have represented a threat to them. So they're going out to judge him. Is he teaching good doctrine like the Pharisees would want him to? Is he telling people to uphold the law? Or, or is he going to like, you know, create problems with Rome? Will Rome come in and, and try to squelch us because of what this dude's preaching? And so they're out there to judge him. Now, I can't prove what I'm about to say. But I suspect that some of the Pharisees and Sadducees are out there watching all of these people walk into the water to be baptized. And they're sensing I'm losing some power. The people aren't going to respect me as much. 
And so I think some of them begin to take off their sandals and begin to walk into the water to be baptized themselves. Thinking, if I get baptized, the people will think I'm really holy and they will want to continue to follow me and listen to me. This is my way to hold some power. So in other words, they're doing it for show. They're doing it to impress people. As a pastor, I've had a number of people ask me to baptize them. And I'll be honest, it is an honor. I I really believe that the reason God put me on this earth was to help people find Jesus and follow him. But everyone who's asked me, I always want to interview them. I want to know their story. And there have been some people that when I've asked them, why do you want to get baptized? They will say things like this. Well, I want the church to accept me. I want to be a part of the church. And so if I get baptized then I'm more a part of the church. In other words, they're saying, I want to do this to impress people, so I'm more liked. Or I've also had other people say, well, I want to get baptized because I think this will really make God happy. Like, he'll, he'll really love me. It's like I, I need to get saved again. And so in other words, they're doing it now to impress God. But baptism is not to impress other people, nor to impress God. The reason you're baptized is because you are impressed by God. You are so overwhelmed by his love that that's what leads you to that repentance. And so you can't step into those waters thinking, wow, everyone's going to be so impressed. No, instead, you walk into those waters saying, God, I am so impressed by you that you could love a sinner like me, go and die my death on the cross so that I could now have this life in Jesus. And so baptism, it requires repentance, but it also, but that repentance means you can't go and do it for show. This isn't to get attention. It's to actually put the attention on God. It's not to take the spotlight. It's to shine the spotlight on Jesus. All right. So those are the first two. Number three, the third thing I see in this passage is that baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Uh, Years ago, one of my really good friends, uh, her mom passed away. And so I and and some other friends went to the funeral of the mom. And talking with my friend and also just at the funeral hearing the stories, it was was obvious that the the mom was an amazing woman. I mean, she had lived her life so generously. People really liked her. She had three kids who had grown up. They all were following Jesus. In fact, one of them was in full-time ministry. I mean, this mom had really made Jesus the center of her life. She had been all about the gospel. And yet, at this funeral, the pastor gets up front. And says, we can take comfort. We can take solace. Because we know that this woman is in heaven now because of her baptism when she was an infant. The idea being that if you are baptized, you now receive a ticket to heaven. That if God is standing there saying, all right, why should I let you in? You're whipping out your baptism certificate saying, here you go. And God goes, oh, that's a nice looking certificate. Yeah, come on in. Unfortunately, though, that's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, if you go over to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, you hear Paul write to this church in Ephesus about salvation. What is it that gets you into heaven, into this relationship with God? And he says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That means you can't walk into heaven and go, hey God, I got here my baptismal certificate. Pretty impressive, isn't it? You're boasting. You're trusting in your baptism. And Jesus is saying, no, 
I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm your ticket to God. You've got to place your faith in me. It gets back to that idea of repentance. He's the way. You follow him, and that's what lets you in. So imagine, I don't think this is what's going to happen, by the way, but just imagine you go to heaven, God's standing there, and he says, why should I let you in? And if you're honest with yourself, you'll say, you shouldn't, because I was a sinner. And yet, your son came to earth, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, but went and died a sinner's death and gives that righteousness to me. So the only reason I can come in is because of what your son has done. And he's invited me here. And I think God smiles big and says, welcome, my son. Come on in. I've got a huge banquet. Baptism itself is not what saves you. It's Jesus alone. There's more evidence in this passage, though, back in Matthew 3, that I think tells us baptism does not save you. And it's right there in verse 13. It says that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So Jesus, who lived a sinless life, is stepping into the waters. He does not need saved. So what is going on? I think Jesus is walking into the waters saying This is a foreshadowing of what is about to take place. Because Jesus knew that the reason he came to earth was to go to a cross, to die, be buried, but he was going to rise again. And by going into the waters, he's saying, here's the foreshadowing. Here's the start of my ministry. And the kind of the closure of my ministry is going to be the actual thing. He's going to be buried and rise again. And Paul, the same guy who wrote that in Ephesians, he talks about it in Romans chapter 6. As he writes to this church in Rome, he starts talking about baptism. And he says in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see how Paul, well, first, he, he assumes that if you follow Jesus, you've been baptized. That's why you've, if you're part of Riverwood, you've heard me talk about how, hey, if you follow Jesus, you should be baptized. But then you see how he ties baptism to the story of Jesus. How he says that you're going under the water. It's this idea of, excuse me, of uh, uh, this idea of being buried with Christ. Your old self being killed with him. And then you are raised to newness of life. Now, the baptism itself isn't the actual act. It's you saying, I identify with this. The illustration I've used so many times, and so I've already used it. Many of you have heard it, and you'll probably hear it multiple times again, is that of a wedding ring. You know, when I got married to Leanne, the moment of our marriage, of our wedding, the, the moment we were united was when we exchanged vows before God and witnesses. We then put on rings to symbolize what took place. But you all know, if I take this off and set it aside, I'm still married. I put this on so everyone can see publicly, I belong to someone else. I think that's what baptism does. It's like you putting on the wedding ring saying, I am tied to someone else. I am tied to Jesus. My whole identity is wrapped up in this crazy story of Jesus being killed, being buried, and rising again. And my life is staked on it. This is what I'm about. And so that's why I believe the baptism itself does not save you. It's this beautiful symbol of this. It's an outward symbol of an inward work that God has already led you to understand the gospel. You've repented. And so now you're not doing this for show. You're doing this because you are tied to Jesus. 
because this is all about him. Number four, the fourth thing I see in this is that baptism creates a marker. Uh, kids, any of you ever gone hiking? Gone out on, on a trail? Okay, I see a few hands. Imagine with me that you're going with your mom and dad. You usually trust them. But let's pretend that you guys are in a place that they've never been before. They don't know where the path. They have no map. There's no cell signal. So they can't get GPS on their smartphone. How in the world are you guys going to keep from getting lost? Well, you've got a smart dad. He brought along colored bands. And as you're walking along a path, he starts putting them on tree branches. And, and every so often. That way, when you start getting to a place and you start wondering... Are we lost? You can turn around and you see the colored bands. And you know the path back. It, you've also seen toddlers do this. Yeah, a little, like, you know, 14, 15-month-old. And, and he's walking and he's starting to get brave. And he sees something he wants. So he starts walking over to it. And all of a sudden he stops. And you look back at mom. Yep, there's mom. I'm okay. And so he'll toddle a little more and stop and look back. Yep, mom's still there. And he'll go a little further. I think that's part of what baptism does for us. It creates a marker. It's a reminder that we can start going through life and we can stop and look back and go, yep, God's with me. I knew the truth on that day. So no matter what's happening on this day, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how much I'm struggling, I know what I believed. I know the truth. God loves me. God's with me. My life is tied to this. And so I can continue on forward. I can keep going. That leads me then to point number five. Baptism is not an immunization from struggle. Okay, kids, I know. I just used a really big word. All right, forgive me. But you guys have probably had immunization shots. You just may not remember it unless you are getting ready to go to school. An immunization is like, if you get a measles immunization, you get the shot and it helps you not to get the measles. Or, you know, some people will go and get a flu shot. It immunizes them and helps them not to get uh, the flu later. It, it helps prevent things. From happening. I think some people think that's what happens with baptism. They think that if they get baptized, it will eliminate the struggle in life. That therefore, God's now with them. Everything's going to be all better. And they won't have to worry about any struggles. <laughs> that's why I went in this passage. I didn't quit at the end of chapter 3. We went on to chapter 4. Because the very first verse there in chapter 4 of Matthew says, Then Jesus, right after his baptism, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness... To be tempted by the devil. Any of you ever face temptation? Yeah, all of us. It's no fun. You know, I shouldn't do that. And yet, oh, but I would love to. I want that. I, I want that extra food. I want to do that. Mom said I can't watch the TV, but oh, I'd love to play the Wii right now. You're tempted. Temptation is not easy, it's a struggle. And here's Jesus, after the highlight of his life, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him. The voice of God speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then he has to go through fasting for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. And you know, when the devil appeared, the first temptation he tried to bring to Jesus had to do with food. That would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, he hasn't eaten for 40 days I would be really tempted to give in too. However, if you notice what Satan said, he said, if you are the son of God, Satan was actually attacking Jesus's identity. 
He had spent 40 days alone, 40 days without food. He is weak. He is tired. He has been struggling. And so Satan goes right at it. If you are the son of God, turn this rock into bread. And Jesus could look back at his baptism. Remember, the heavens parted, the Holy Spirit came down, alighted upon me, and I heard God's voice. And what did God say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. So he could look Satan right in the eyes. Say, what do you mean, if? Of course I'm God's son, because I know it at my baptism. It was a marker, and he could look back at it, and it could help guide him then through that temptation. And he knew who he was. I think that's what baptism can do for us. That when we are baptized, we say we're all in. Our life is tied to this crazy story of God coming to earth as Jesus Christ, dying on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, rising again from the dead. We tie our whole life to that. And now we're tempted. Now we're going through struggle. And we can look back and say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus' follower doesn't do that. Uh, You know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And Jesus persevered so I could persevere through this struggle. That's what our baptism can do for us. And so, baptism. A lot of misconceptions about it. But hopefully you realize that it requires repentance. It's not about you putting on a show, trying to impress people. It's not taking the spotlight. It's shining the spotlight on Jesus. And it doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. You being baptized merely says, my life is tied to him. I am all about this gospel message. And therefore, it creates a marker. You plant it in the ground of your spiritual journey. And as you continue on, you can look back and know, I know what I believed. This is the truth. God loves me. He's with me. Jesus died for me. So I can go on through whatever is ahead. If you're a Jesus follower and you've never been baptized... I am not inviting you today to be spontaneously dunked, okay? I don't have extra clothing for you. You don't have it. And besides, I would like to have a conversation with you. I'd like to know more of why you want to do it. Because I'm not an arm twister. I'm not going to force anyone to do it. I want the Holy Spirit to be the one saying, do it. Come. I want you to do this because I want you to fully give your life to me. And so if you've never been baptized, but you say, I follow Jesus, I want you on those connection cards that are inside the handouts I just want you to simply write on that baptism. Today, we're not going to pass our giving bags at the end. So any giving that you're doing as part of our worship, I just want you to drop it in the box that's on the give and grow table. But I want you to take your connection card and you write baptism on that. I want you to drop it in that box. And that will begin a conversation. Also, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I'm glad you came. We started Riverwood Church for you. In fact, you're going to hear some stories this morning of some people who are going to share of how God has helped them to find him through Riverwood. We started Riverwood for them. We started Riverwood for you. And we would love nothing more than to help you begin a journey of following Jesus. And it would probably lead to baptism. But we want to help you find him and follow him. We realize you feel spiritually disconnected. You want God and he loves you. And you're sensing it. You're feeling it. We want to help make that connection for you, that you would make the gospel the center of your life and you would begin to follow Jesus the rest of your days. If that's you on your card, it just simply says, today I want to begin to follow Jesus. And that you just mark that and drop that in the, the box and that will begin a conversation. Because we are not about just trying to get a bunch of check marks. We're not about trying to get a bunch of conversions so we can sound really good to a bunch of other churches. We truly are here to help make disciples, followers of Jesus. We want to help you find him and follow him. 
Because it isn't enough for you to just say, yeah, I know Jesus. We want you to be fully in. Because we believe what this world needs are more people who love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. If you've been paying attention to the news, you realize there is a ton of chaos. And what we need is a bunch of people who go out there and be peacemakers and lovers and bring God's presence and his kindness. And you are the ones to do it. So if you do not know Jesus yet, I invite you, begin today. Talk to God, confess your sin, say you want to follow him. Repent and begin this journey so that God can begin to shape and mold you into the image of Jesus and he can use you to be that change agent that this world needs. And part of that journey will probably include baptism. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this chance for us to study Matthew 3. Uh, I, I do just graciously ask that uh, anything that I have said that may not be fully in line with your word, that we would forget those things today. But if there is anything that I have said that is truly from your scriptures, it is in line with what you have wanted your people to know and to hear and to follow, I pray that be what we walk out here with today. And that we would all have a better understanding of baptism. And I pray for anyone here that has been baptized, that they can look back upon that moment and realize that this was the moment where they said, I'm all in. And it would impact them as they continue now to go through life. And I pray that they would just go to be a blessing because they are a Jesus follower. I pray for anyone here who, who knows your gospel, has, has prayed to you, they say they follow you, but has never been baptized. I pray that you'd begin to just talk to them and speak to them and, and change their heart in ways that they would also want to fully publicly align themselves with your gospel message of your death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And then lastly, I pray for anyone here that does not know you yet. Pray that today might be the day that they would sense your voice. And right now they're talking to you and they're saying, God, I, I know you want me. So I'm giving myself to you because Jesus, you gave yourself for me. And I pray, Father, that you would begin a fantastic journey of changing them, helping them to follow Jesus, and watching you do what only you could do through them. And so, Father, as we uh, celebrate baptisms here in a little bit, trusting that this, this rain holds off, that we can uh, just celebrate what you have done in these lives. Lord, we want you to get the glory. We shine the spotlight on you today. So may you be glorified through the words that these people share and say, and may you be glorified as we celebrate them saying they're all in and they've gone public. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.